0: Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. You know, anything travels that far, out would have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think?
1: It's time for Powell at the Park.
0: One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs,
1: Sox, all your Chicago baseball news.
0: Dynamite drop in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Play ball!
1: Hello, friends. Episode number 14 of the Powell at the Park podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I'm very excited about this week's episode. I talked with Josh Nelson. He's with Sox Machine, which is a uh, a few guys who are a bunch of diehard Sox fans, and they they cover the team top to bottom through the farm system up at the big leagues as well. And Josh is he has a podcast for Sox Machine. He and I talked for about 20-25 minutes about all sorts of White Sox-related things, and we talk about the the farm system. We talk about the big league level. Does he think Jose Abreu should be traded? Do you think the Sox should deal Abreu and get some prospects? What about Avi Garcia long term? A lot to talk about with the Sox, and Josh and I uh, talk about it at length. Talk about the team at length. Josh was kind enough to have me out at this panel discussion on the South Side after a game a week or so ago, and that was a lot of fun. I felt like I was at the epicenter of the Sox fan world. These guys were diehards. It was a lot of fun. Drink a lot of Miller Lite. And we talked baseball, and we had a great time. So thanks to uh, Josh and the the Section 108 crew and Jim Margulis, who's also with Sox Machine, for having me out at the ballpark pub. We had a great time and uh, talked some Sox and and uh, just enjoyed ourselves. So Josh and I just talked about the Sox at length. And then I also talked to Tony Andraki, my guy, my fellow Illinois State Redbird. He covers the Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago, so we talk a lot about Mike Montgomery and where he fits with this pitching staff moving forward, we'll get his thoughts on that. We'll talk a little bit about Darvish, a little bit about Brandon Morrow's injury, and even look ahead to the trade deadline. But, as I always do, we'll start the episode with the rundown. On this week's rundown, I wanted to discuss weird sports injuries because Brandon Morrow's on the DL, and apparently he was taking his pants off and he tweaked his lower back. 10-day DL for the Cubs closer. Taking his pants off. So Sullivan, Paul Sully from Chicago Tribune had a pretty good piece about some weird Cubs injuries over the past years. And I'm sure everybody can think of a couple. Sammy Sosa, of course, suffering an oblique injury after sneezing. He went on the DL. Sean Dunstan apparently injured his back in the winter in 1991 and was hospitalized, needed surgery for a herniated disc after lifting his daughter out of her car seat. This one I remember. Ryan Dempster in 2009 jumping over the dugout fence after they won to celebrate. He broke his toe, missed a month. Apparently Kerry Woods slipped uh, coming getting out of a hot tub during spring training. Mike Remlinger sprained his pinky finger between two recliners in the uh, Cubs clubhouse. Lou Piniella called them cubby occurrences, these weird, odd injuries. Brandon Morrow on a long list of weird Cubs injuries. Outside of the Cubs, remember when Chris Sale said he broke his foot landing awkwardly while he was unloading stuff from the back of his truck. But then he kind of hinted that it was there was more to this story, but he was taking it to his grave, and we never got the full story on how Chris Sale broke his foot in 2015, I want to say. Jeff Kent uh, told the Giants, speaking of falling off trucks, he told the Giants and reporters, this was uh, like 15 years ago, something like that, 2000, I think it was. Uh, he was watching his truck fell off the top, broke his wrist, but that lie lasted just a few days. I guess he was popping wheelies on his motorcycle, and he crashed. <laughs> and he broke his wrist. Remember, Speaking of the Giants, remember Madison Bumgarner just a year ago, crashing his dirt bike, injured his pitching shoulder. Uh, Tom Glavin apparently broke a rib while throwing up a in-flight meal. Apparently he was eating ribs. That's what made him sick. And then he ended up breaking a rib. Former NL MVP Kevin Mitchell apparently broke his tooth after taking a bite out of a frozen donut. That's a weird one. And then remember, outside of baseball, Bill Gramatica. Remember the Gramatica brothers? They'd hit a PAT and they would go nuts. Like they just scored a soccer goal. By the way, speaking of soccer, I have like no interest in the World Cup. When the U.S. is in it, I have minimal interest. And actually, the last time they were in, I was kind of excited. Did the whole bar thing with some buddies, drank beers, screamed at the TV. But, uh, you know, with the U.S. out of the World Cup, I'm good. I'm good with just baseball. I mean, I got to keep an eye on it, the whole spectacle of the, the whole thing. But, yeah, if the U.S. is not in it, I'm not that interested. Anyways, Bill Gramatica, remember he made the field goal and he was going nuts and he blew out his blew out his knee? So, anyways, Brandon Morrow made me think of uh, some just some weird sports injuries. Figured we revisit some of those. Brandon Morrow on the DL. Uh, after uh, injuring his lower back while taking his pants off. Good luck to Brandon Morrow. That's this week's Rundown. All right, first guest on this week's episode, I talked with Tony Andraki. We talked a lot of Cubs stuff. Mike Montgomery, you Darvish, talk about Brandon Morrow and his injury. Tony works with NBC, worked for NBC Sports Chicago and covers the Cubs. Here's my conversation with him. We're now joined by fellow Redbird, Tony Andraki. He's with NBC Sports Chicago. Follow him on Twitter, at TonyAndracchi23. Tony, we had a Redbird sighting at Wrigley this week.
0: Yeah, we did, and uh, he ended up getting slapped with a loss. <laughs> Brock Stewart!
1: That's how the PA guy used to used to introduce him at Duffy Bass Field. He was in Illinois State. A six-round pick, I believe, by the Dodgers, if I'm not mistaken, a few years ago.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Good to see you, Redbird. You played a little baseball in the, down at ISU, didn't you?
0: Uh, Not on the team, on the club team. I was nowhere near good enough to play with Brock and some of the other guys on the actual team.
1: What position were you?
0: Uh, Outfield.
1: Right, left, center? Just wherever they would put you?
0: Wherever they would put me, wherever I could get on the field.
1: Love it. Gritty type player, uh, team player right there, and Tony Andraki. Tony, let's talk about uh, the Cubs here. I want to start with Mike Montgomery. For some reason, Cub fans are like in a panic or in some sort of rush to declare him the sixth starter. Like, he has to be a starter. He's shown enough. He's gone four straight outings now with uh, six innings and just one run given up. He's obviously been very good filling in, but we know that Mike Montgomery can be this type of pitcher, but that's the beauty of Mike Montgomery, is that he can come in in a pinch and help when a guy goes down. He can come in for long relief. He can pitch an inning out of the bullpen. I, I, what are your thoughts on Montgomery? Do you think they should declare him a six starter or or not?
0: You know what? It, that's a really good question, but might actually pose a different one to you. Who says he's not the fourth starter? You know, as opposed to even the sixth. At this rate, I mean, actually, he's been their ace. You know, like, as good as John Lester's been, Mike Montgomery has done something that no other Cubs pitcher ever in the whole history of the franchise has done, in that the first five starts, he's gone at least six innings, um... Or five or six innings and allowed only one or zero runs that's never happened no cubs pitcher has gotten off to that good of a start as, as a member of the rotation so he's been awesome he's definitely earned a spot he's not going anywhere when you darvish comes back you're right they either have to go to six starters or they're going to have to figure something out maybe tyler chatwood has to go on the dl to figure out you know his control issues or you know, who knows? Maybe somebody else will be hurt by then. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. But as of right now, no way Mike Montgomery loses his spot.
1: Yeah, you know, if Darvish comes back fully healthy and say, a couple weeks here and Chatwood still has these command issues, maybe come up with some sort of phantom injury for Chatwood and let him, let yeah. him figure something out on the DL for a couple of weeks because that is like, wow. I'm, I don't know if I've – it's like him and Carson Fulmer have some of the worst command issues I've, I've ever seen. So uh, he's got to figure something out.
0: Yeah, he does. And and the whole thing about, like you said, the phantom injury, I mean, you get that and then you have uh, up to, I think, 30 days of like a minor league rehab assignment. So because on his contract, you can't send him down. I mean, he comes back from injury and then you could hold him in the minors for almost a month. So, I mean, really, he could, you know, if he figures it out and if not by then, you know, you're almost at the point where September call-ups and you can figure it out. Just keep him in the, in the bullpen or whatever. But yeah, it, it, it's been weird. It is weird. I mean, he does such a good job of limiting contact and giving up very few homers. And and you know, I mean, even with five walks the other day and a hit batter, he still only allowed one run in five innings and gave the Cubs a chance to win. So it, it's very it's some of the most unique pitching lines I've ever seen. It have come from Tyler Chatwood this year.
1: It's pretty incredible. I guess that's just to my point that. I just, I just personally don't feel this need for the Cubs to have to come out and say Mike Montgomery is a full time starter. the 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 beauty of Montgomery is that he's incredibly flexible. He can come out of the bowl. I almost feel bad for the guy a little bit because he's 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 made it clear he wants to be a starter but he's been a great teammate Um, of course there were some trade rumors with Montgomery because maybe he wanted to go somewhere where he could be a full-time starter the beauty of Montgomery and the beauty of this entire team it's like people getting on Madden for not sticking with a set lineup they should, Cub fans should be doing the opposite. Instead of criticizing that, they should be applauding the fact that they're able to every day go out there and play the matchups. That's what Madden's doing. He's not doing it to have fun and to screw with Cub fans. He's doing it because he's playing matchups. And he's going to do that with Montgomery, and he's going to do that with the lineup as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not really sure. All these people that want to set lineup, first of all, I'm curious when they first started watching baseball, because, you know, if it's... Madden thinks it's like an older age group because, you know, I know I can speak for you and I. Our Coming up, like in the '90s and you know early 2000s and stuff, there's never been a set lineup. Like teams just don't do that with platoons and guys, you know, needing a break and all these other things. So, I, plus, I'm not sure. Like, what guys do they not want to see play? Do they not want to see Zobrist out there ever, or do they not want to see Ian Happ out there ever? You know, I mean, I'm fine if you know everybody wants to have Wilson Contreras catch every game he can instead of Jimenez or Tommy La still only comes off the bench. But either way, you're talking about you know one of those guys, Zobrist or Happ or Almora or Hayward or Swerber or Javi or something. Somebody's got to sit. So all these people that want to set lineup, who sits every day in, the, in your set lineup? I really want to know that.
1: And also everyone's still criticizing Madden for not playing Albert Elmora. Albert Almora has appeared in every game except I think four or five. He's on pace for about 500 at-bats. He's getting plenty of playing time.
0: Yeah, he really is. It, it's, You know, even if he doesn't start a game because half does or something else, like you said, Almora comes in pretty much as a pinch hitter or at least as a defensive replacement because he is one of the best defensive outfielders by almost every metric this year. And you're right. He's on pace for, I think, it's like 520 uh, at-bats and, you know, however many innings in the field. And at this rate, he's making his case for the All-Star game, too.
1: Yeah, I don't think people realize this, but the the Cubs have the fifth highest team OPS in all of baseball. They have the highest on base percentage in all of baseball, and they have the highest team batting average in the National League. I bet you, if, I bet you, if you told a lot of Cub fans that, they'd be surprised because I posted that on Twitter and and people, a couple people responded like, "Wow, I, I would never have guessed that."
0: Yeah, because everybody freaks out about their offense and <laughs> you know, oh, they're so hot and cold and. You know, they they do amazing in one game where they score 10 runs against the Cardinals, and then they get shut out two nights later. And it's like, well, yeah, but, I mean, that's the nature of baseball right now. Pitching is so good, and there are so many good pitchers. But, you know, almost everybody, you're you're pretty much not a good pitcher unless you have a K per nine over nine. You're striking out more than a batter per inning. And for everybody that's freaking out about the Cubs offense, the Brewers, who are obviously the Cubs' main rival here in the NL Central, They've been shut out 10 times this year, which is the most in baseball and the most that they have ever been shut out in a season, I believe, if I saw that correctly on Twitter. Uh, And we're talking, you know, not even halfway through the season. So the Brewers are a very up and down offensive team. I mean, I think half of those shutouts have come at the hands of the Cubs, Mm -hmm. but. Still, you know, it's up and down for everybody. Not every night the Cubs are going to come out and score 10 runs.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is some validity to talking about the hot and cold. In the 29 losses, they've posted a 193 average. When they when they win games, they're batting 303. So, yeah, it does kind of feel that way, but the overall body of work is there. There's enough firepower there. A um, little bit of a setback with Brandon Morrow. Apparently he's strained his lower back putting on his pants, Tony. Did I get that story right? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess he uh, was taking his pants off or putting them on. I don't know exactly which. Uh, at about three a.m. when the Cubs got back from that late Sunday night baseball game in St. Louis, uh, I guess he got home, was getting ready for bed or whatever. And, Ended up twisting his back, kind of got caught a bit there. Um, It's happened, you know, a lot to different people. I mean, I know I've had back issues where it's happened out of nowhere, and, you know, Morrow's a couple years older than me still, So, and I'm not a big, big pitcher, obviously, so it doesn't really affect anything. But, um, yeah, it it was a very weird injury, but, honestly, credit to Morrow for owning up to exactly how it happened and just kind of being himself with it.
1: morrow has been outstanding this year, by the way. That one-blown save, other than that, he's been pretty much lights out.
0: Yeah, giving up runs in, uh, I believe, only two of his 26 outings so far this year. So he's been everything the Cubs wanted, and that's also kind of why they put him on the DL. They thought maybe in a couple of days he'd be all right, but with the doubleheader and 14 games in 13 days, they needed a bullpen arm, mm-hmm. and they just want to make sure that, that Morrow is good, when the postseason comes along, when September and October comes, that's what they're trying to do. I mean, that's why they're not rushing Darvish back. That's why they're not rushing C.J. Edwards back. They want to make sure that they're playing their best baseball at the most important time of the year.
1: Justin Hancock, by the way, and he's an intriguing guy. Uh, we saw him pitching that Dodgers win um, a couple nights ago lively arms so i think he's a guy that probably can you know patch patch up the bullpen for at least a few games before uh, you get you get fully healthy the cubs bullpen by the way second lowest era in all of baseball cubs relievers have posted a 209 opponent average second best in the majors behind the Yankees. So, um, obviously, a lot of good here. I think if, uh, you know, really any team that's in contention, we saw the Nationals already make a deal for a reliever. Anybody that's in contention is always looking to to add an arm to their bullpen. I would be surprised if the Cubs don't add a bullpen arm at some point uh, ahead of the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, I would be, too, just because they've had to rely on their bullpen so much. As you said, they've been very good, um, but they, I think they just be good to get a fresh arm and a guy who you know maybe ideally hasn't been um you know throwing almost every other game or so, something so far this year but yeah either way adding another elite or close to elite arm into that bullpen can only help and they already feel like you said they got hancock and luke Farrell. they like anthony bass uh ranger rosario looks like he's up here to stay they have a lot of options you know, for the for the depth kind of guys. But when you're getting into October, I'm not so sure that every, anybody's, like, super confident in those guys yet. But, you know, if you get, a, say, Brad Hand or Kirby Yates or something from San Diego, those guys I think uh, have really established themselves as veterans. And
1: we'll go full circle here. You can always put Mike Montgomery in the bullpen if you need to.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, if the, if the playoffs started tomorrow... He would be in the Cubs rotation, uh, postseason rotation. But, you know, you're right. Maybe Chadwick figures it out by then. Maybe Darvish comes back and is healthy and figures it out. And, you know, if that's the case, then, yeah, Montgomery probably would have to slap back in the bullpen and give the Cubs uh, one of those guys who could go long or just match up lefty and get a ground ball from a guy like he did to end the World Series.
1: Tony and Jackie, NBC Sports Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at Tony and twenty three. Any final uh, notes or nuggets on the Cubs before I uh, let you go, Tony?
0: They're in. A, they are in a stretch, like I said, fourteen. 14- games in 13 days because of that double header um, but you know they they have four in Los Angeles but they also this four in Cincinnati really helped because yeah. the worst team in baseball meanwhile the uh, the Brewers and Cardinals I, I think it's this weekend have a four game series against each other uh, that they're gonna have to be duking it out so it's a really good weekend for the Cubs to kind of make up some ground on their division rivals
1: Tony you're the best appreciate you jumping on man
0: no problem. thanks for having me
1: Thanks to Tony and my fellow Redbird. He'll always love having Tony on. I think he's been on three times now, just 14 episodes. So uh, love talking to Tony. He knows his stuff. I also uh, had a conversation with Josh Nelson from Sox Machine, and we get into what Sox Machine is, how it started, who's involved. And we have a very lengthy conversation about the state of the White Sox. Hope you enjoy. We're now joined by the one and only Josh Nelson with Sox Machine. You can follow him on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. They have a blog and a podcast. They cover the Sox. I don't think anybody knows the Sox uh, uh, as well as Josh and the whole Sox Machine crew. And we had a ton of fun last week. So uh, I wanted to bring you on to talk about that. Thank you for having me out at the ballpark pub. We did kind of a White Sox panel thing, but it was a blast to see all the diehards in action.
2: Yeah, you know, everybody wonders if White Sox fans are still interested on how the season is going. That was a blast. I wasn't awesome. expecting that many people at the ballpark pub. And, uh, you know, shout-out to them. They are a great joint. So for White Sox fans that are looking for a great pregame or postgame spot, uh, shout-out to them. They were gracious to us. Uh, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun conversation that we had. So thank you so much for coming down to the South Side.
1: It was awesome. I didn't even have to pay for beers, so I wasn't anticipating that. <laughs> uh, but it was fun to see. You know, the first question, we were, we were kind of joking because it was – it was Jim Margulis. Well, first of all, let's talk about Sox, Sox Machine. If anybody do, sure. doesn't know what it is or follow it or follow you guys or they're new to it, what, what is Sox Machine? Where did it start? Who's involved with it?
2: Yeah, so the the main guy, the managing editor, I have that burned into my memory, uh, Jim Margulis. Uh, he started Sox Machine after the 2005 season, and he ran that site for a while before coming over to Southside Sox for SB Nation, and he ran Southside Sox from, I want to say, 2011, to 2017. I started the podcast for Southside Sox and SB Nation starting the 2014 season. Uh, so, this is our fifth season together that we've been podcasting about the White Sox. And we decided to be rebels, decided to go independent, man. Going rogue. Going rogue. And uh, restarted Sox Machine because Jim still had everything alive. And. It's been a great transition. The amount of support that we have gotten from White Sox fans has just been absolutely tremendous. Even support for from people like you, Kevin, that allowed me to come back on your your podcast and and you know give us the shout-outs and everything. We we greatly appreciate it cuz we are trying to be a good home for White Sox fans that are going through this tough time, you know. No better time to restart and go independent than the 2018 <laughs> Chicago White Sox season. But we know that brighter days are ahead, and for White Sox fans that are still interested in what is happening and want to go through the day to day operations of the grind and want to try to make sense of what's happening, uh, we we hope we can answer some questions for you.
1: You know, there are a lot of good things about blogs. There are a lot of bad things about blogs and sort of podcasts and things like that. Is is the beauty is anybody could have them, and and the the problem is is anybody could have them. So, <laughs> no. um, but I think this is a perfect example of what a independent blog of a couple guys who have this real serious interest and there are so many great beat reporters in this town. I think, you know, a lot of guys do a good job covering the socks and the Cubs and all that. But there's something a little bit different about um having a an entire site, a podcast, a blog, all dedicated to this this diehard a burning passion that some people have for whatever it may be. In this case, it happens to be the White Sox. It was beautiful to come out there and see. You know, the first question, you guys were like, man, they're 1-7 against the Tigers. And I'm like, well, the fact that you guys care that they're 1-7 <laughs> this year in a rebuild, I'm like, it's a rebuild. Who gives a damn? But it was, I, I, I said this multiple times. I felt like I was at the epicenter of the Sox fan world on Saturday because it was a bunch of guys that were just diehards. So you guys did the tailgate, the game, and then the bar. It was it was a wonderful thing.
2: Yeah, some people were in a uh, interesting... Show shape, as that night was getting later. Uh, but no, you know, thank you for that. And yeah, I mean, with the blogs and everything, uh, from the 108, sexual 108 guys, they're hilarious. Yeah. They're the drunk uncles of Chicago White Sox Twitter. <laughs> I-, I love those guys. Uh, huge shout-out to Future Sox, because they've been doing this for a really long time, covering the White Sox prospects and the minor leagues, and they do such a terrific job. And I, I think for White Sox fans, a lot of times I hear gripes that major media doesn't cover the White Sox like the Cubs or other major cities do but there are people that are putting in the effort and I think producing high quality content and to get you whatever answers that you're looking for from all the way down in Great Falls, Montana about rookie ball and try to make sense of what is happening in Chicago Uh, I feel like in the White Sox blogosphere that you will be able to find quality content to get the answers that you're looking for
1: So the College World Series is going on, and... Um, you know it is for Sox fans, and look, I I'm, I cover both teams in this town, and I try to do it ob- objectively. And you do like, a great I, job I of it. it, you know. And um, but I, you know, I've I, I don't shy away from the fact that I did grow up a Sox fan. So last night I'm watching this Oregon State game against North Carolina. Nick Madrigal, of course, the Sox fourth pick. And because I'm never really rooting for a team in baseball, I just went full meathead last night, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm all in on the Oregon State Beavers and Nick Madrigal, and it was a really fun game. Um, I'm not sure how much you caught of it or what you saw from Madrigal, who hasn't necessarily been tearing up, uh, tearing the ball up in the College World Series. I think he was like 4 for 14 going the last night, but he had a couple big hits. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess talk about Madrigal, your scouting report on him, what you've
2: heard from people, and um, where you think his future lies with the Sox moving forward. So I've been hearing about Nick Madrigal all the way since last summer when he joined Team USA. And I watched Nick Madrigal to begin the season in February, Just because I knew that he was going to be a top 10 prospect. I didn't know if he was going to be top 5 because obviously size was a concern. But those first two weeks, Kevin, he was just absolutely outstanding. And checking off all of the boxes. And everybody was raving about Madrigal. And then in the 8th inning against Ohio State, sliding into home, he breaks his wrist. And then he's out for, like, six weeks. And I noticed that he still runs with a some sort of guard when yeah. he gets on the bases. So that's what yeah. I figured was from that. It, it's from that. And it's like, oh, man, this is devastating. Because when I was scouting, like, through March, college bats were just not producing. We were expecting Jeremy Ironman from Missouri State, a shortstop, who ate like, 21 home runs. He's Jake Berger's teammate, the White Sox 2017 first-round pick. To possibly be that top five guy, no, he he has a bad junior year. And then that's where Alec Bum, who went third overall in front of Nick Madrigal, uh, really came into the spotlight during the college season. And then Madrigal came back, and Oregon State was kind of laying in the weeds. They were third place in the Pac-12, but still within striking distance. And it's like Madrigal didn't miss any time at all. And yeah, the power wasn't there right away, but he was doing whatever he needed to do to get on base. And I will say this for White Sox fans, especially those that are the grinders, that they love the 19th. Fifty nine White Sox. If you are an old White Sox fan, you're going to love Nick Madrigal because he's cut from the cloth of the 1959 White Sox. He will do whatever it takes to get on base. He's aggressive in pitch counts. If he sees a first pitch fastball, he's going after it. He steals bases, and he's very quick at second base. He's got great hands. He makes a great transition as well on double plays. He had a great double play partner this year in shortstop, Caden Grenier, who was also drafted in the first round. And when you need him in the clutch, it just seems like magical produces. You mentioned that Oregon State game. They're down 6-3. It's the eighth inning. And who keeps the rally going? Yep. It's Nick magical with a single to center field. And then, and, then he
1: doubles later on Yeah, as then well. he doubles.
2: Yeah. yeah, and then to give insurance runs... For Oregon State, so I think White Sox fans, Kevin, are going to absolutely love Madrigal. He brings something to the team. He's not going. He's not a power guy. He's not going to hit twenty home runs. But this is a guy who, honestly, I think could hit three twenty in a year in the major leagues and can get on base at a three eighty clip. That's something that the White Sox don't have today. So if you're looking for table setters or reasons to be excited about Madrigal. He's gonna be the guy on first and second base when Alo Jimenez and Luis Robert and Zach Collins and maybe Jose Abreu if he sticks around and Young Mekata, when these guys are coming up to bat, it's gonna be magical on the base path scoring runs.
1: I'm i I'm I'm interested to see what he's gonna do, and I think Sox fans should be excited. It feels like they've never really had that guy that you know is gonna get on base consistently right. and kind of be that driving engine to an offense. Um you know, it's almost tough to project where he lies because he is—he feels like a second baseman, of course, with his size, but Yohan know, Mokata's playing there right now. So when it's all said and uh, said and done, where do you think he does end up with this team, and where do you think Moncada ends up with the starting team?
2: I think Makata has the athleticism. He moves very well to his right, Kevin, That, and he's got the arm to play third base. I just think it's going to take time, especially during spring training, to get the reps for Moncada to do that. And I'd like to see how the White Sox feel about that because obviously and Makata is the foundation piece yeah. where Magical is a nice addition to the foundation, but no make mistake about it. Makata is part of the foundation. Yeah. There's some that really believe that Makata can be an amazing center fielder in the likes of Mike Trout. Just because of his size and his speed. He
1: does kind of look like a, like a safety in football. He's kind of got that oh, build or maybe a big cornerback or something like that. Could
2: you imagine if Mancata and Avisil Garcia grew up in the United States? <laughs> yeah, right. Avi would be a linebacker with or, the speed that he has and his maybe size. Maybe a tight
1: end, too. Maybe He's a tight tall, end. tall, like 6'5", 200 pounds.
2: Mancata would be your strong safety. Yeah, this guy is just built like a And he'd be lethal tank. across the middle. Oh, yeah. Get, get, I, hadn't I mean, even Vic, thought of that, but Vic Vic I mean, yeah,
1: maybe if baseball doesn't work out, maybe they can try this thing called football with a pigskin rather than a round ball.
2: Yeah, man, he um, can he can run.
1: Uh, okay, I'm, I'm I'm happy we 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 scheduled this today the way we did because this morning uh, the news came out of the promotions in yeah. the minors, which we were all anticipating. Eloy's up to AAA. Dylan Cease goes up to double I know you've got the list there in front of you. Um, this was uh, the, the bright spot is it's just like top to bottom. Seems like everybody's performing pretty well in the minors. I know Kopech's mm-hmm. hit the speed bump, but we talked about it last week, that he had a loss in his family, and since then maybe not completely um, uh, back or, or over whatever had happened there. Um, but top to bottom, I, I think you got to be pretty happy with where the Sox prospects are right now.
2: Yeah, on the top end, I mean, Elo Jimenez is answering all the questions, right? Yeah. And I've been stumping for him to be in Charlotte for a month. I do like... After thinking about it for a while, on how Chris Getz handled this, wait until the All-Star game and you have a complete first half for these prospects in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, and Birmingham to judge how they do and then make the promotions. You know, Aloy Jimenez is going to be joined by Ian Hamilton and catcher Sebi Zavala. And Hamilton, Zavala, I like. I think they could be contributors to the 2018 White Sox in September. If Rick Hahn opens up some 40-man spots to add them, uh, so we may see them. But yeah, as you mentioned, Kopech has hit a speed bump, but in his start last night, awful way to begin. Walks, hit batsmen, hit allowed. But then there was a mound visit, and from that mound visit, he got two strikeouts, got out of the inning clean, And then he allowed a home run to Adam Rosales, who just owns anyone that pitches for the White Sox. (laughs) And then it was like three up, three down through the third, fourth, and fifth innings. And Kopech looked good. So I think he's going to get back on track. But, yeah, a lot of these guys that you that you mentioned, I mean, Alex called. Joel Booker was the Carolina League All-Star MVP. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know about him, and now he's going up to Birmingham. Uh, Dylan Cease, I know White Sox fans are really excited about him. Bernardo Flores, not a lot of people know about Bernardo Flores, but all he's done is pitch well since so joining the White Sox organization, a left-handed pitcher from USC, and now he's going to be tested at Birmingham. And when I visited Birmingham in April, Kevin, I when doing the research and everything and, and talking to people down there, Birmingham is the wall. It's not a hurdle. Not everyone is going to get through Birmingham. Those that do will be ready to be in the major leagues. That's why I say Ian Hamilton, a reliever, Sebby Zavala, catcher, we may see them now in Chicago because they've gone through that wall. And for how well Winston-Salem played in this first half, to win the division, and they're going to go to the postseason. That's very exciting because we talk about Madrigal. Madrigal's probably joining the Dash. So Madrigal is going to get some minor league postseason experience, and that will be fun to see him in September play some playoff baseball. But for the guys that have done a terrific job in the first half, they have the real test now. And if they can pass this real test in Birmingham, then for White Sox fans, it's time to get excited because they may have depth. If they don't, then it's time for Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams to think about outside solutions to build around Mankata and Anderson and Jimenez, especially offensively.
1: Well, you mentioned Anderson. Many don't believe he's a long-term shortstop option. Well, a lot he's of people... got a
2: long-term contract. Y- yes. <laughs> but but do, you, do you think they should start looking at him in center field? I would rather look at Mankata at center field than Anderson. Yes, Anderson, does. he's not fundamentally sound. But Anderson does make plays that the average shortstop cannot. Right, He's got I,
1: great range, no question. Great range. Yeah.
2: I think over time, he will learn that he has more time and his arm is stronger than he b- believes. I a lot of the off-the-back foot throws mm-hmm. may be great in a transition when you're playing basketball. Not so great baseball wise, but I've noticed that Trey Turner for the Washington Nationals makes a lot of similar throws. So maybe it's just more repetition from Anderson. But defensively, I'm not worried. Uh, there was a lot of questions about Alexa Ramirez, too. and But, again, Ramirez would make plays. Be like, I don't even think Francisco Lindor can make that play. And Tim Anderson can make those types of plays, too. So, at this moment... Who is more likely to play in center field between Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata? I would say Yohan Makata.
1: Interesting. Yeah, plus, you know, this is the time when you can experiment. I keep telling people that you you can literally experiment and try guys out, or you can experiment by just leaving a guy there, even if he is maybe, Makata's leading the AL in errors for second baseman. Anderson hasn't been all that great, but you know, they're only, they're still so young. I think people forget how young Moncada and Anderson are because, you know, in baseball you hear about these guys at such a young age when they're 18, there's these phenom prospects. Then if it's a three-year span, and then they're in the majors, and it feels like you've been hearing about a guy for five years already, but he's only 21 or 22 or 23. Let it breathe a little bit. Let the reps happen. I'm okay with that as as well. Let these guys get some experience there. Um, bounce back to the minors. Eloy up to AAA, pretty much destroyed the baseball in AA. Um, I, I hate this this question because it's it's uh, we we've heard it five million times. But when do you think he he will get the call up? Because I anticipate him to do what he did in A and in, tri- in AAA.
2: Well, he's forcing the issue. It really depends on who's healthy. Uh, I think for the White Sox to hear that Lurie Garcia and Abisiel Garcia are playing well in Charlotte, and they look healthy, that they're going to be joining the White Sox soon. That's not necessarily good news for players like Trace Thompson, Adam Engel, or Charlie Tilson, because they may not be on the 25-man roster soon. They may be in Charlotte. If any outfielders were to get hurt, let's say if Avi gets hurt again, then we could see Aloy Jimenez pretty soon. I think realistically, we're still looking at August, for Jimenez to join the White Sox, if not after the September call-ups. And I know that's a wide range, and that's not very specific, Kevin, but you know, with the White Sox, they, they're they going to be patient, and I don't think Avi's going to get traded because he got hurt. I mean, if Avi was trade bait and somebody traded for him, totally different story. It's time to call up Ayla Jimenez, but I don't see that happening now with him being hurt. I think Avi will be with the White Sox all the way through 2019 as well. Uh, so for the time being, I think for Eloy, be either like the last couple of weeks of August or after September 1st.
1: Okay, speaking of trades, Jose Abreu is what kind of everybody's been focused on in terms of trade. Because right. now the draft's over, it's, it's the look ahead to the trade deadline for the next month here or so. I've continued to say that be open-minded with potentially trading him. Just see what the market is i don 't think you should take i don 't think you should not have discussions with teams about Jose Brey. What if someone gives you a, a top a, a couple top prospects for him i don 't think anybody will, but maybe a team gets desperate for power maybe a team. You know the, the American League isn't exactly um, doesn't have a huge depth of first baseman these days um, maybe somebody does reach for him so I've just said that I guess be open minded to it I would love I think he projects to be a guy that's going to continue to crank out 25 homers and 100 RBIs for still the next couple of years here so yeah. if he does stay it makes complete sense to me um, I, I do kind of shy away from the argument that he's he's been a mentor to Mankata and some of these other guys I think there's value in that no question about it but Yo Mankata is going to be good if Yohan Moncada is going to be good, not whether or not Jose Abreu is around. Right. So um, I've the way, when people ask me, I say just be open-minded to it. Let's see what the market is for him. If you can somehow get a some couple big prospects for
2: him, maybe pull the trigger. I think in the American League, what Peter Gammons has said on MLB Tonight earlier this week is that the Houston Astros have been scouting Jose Abreu. And that was a bit of a mind-blown, because I did not even have Houston on the radar, Kevin, about Jose Abreu. Especially
1: considering they have such a a rich offense already.
2: Well, I looked, I watched a couple Astros games. They have a problem in center field. And I could see them taking Yuli Gurriel, moving him to right field, and moving George Springer from right field to center field, and then adding Jose Abreu that way to really form a devastating lineup. Because I think Houston is looking at the American League East and saying to themselves, man. you got to get through the Yankees in Boston. They Yankees get or smart, Boston. A ton of runs. Fire power yeah. we're going to have to get through in order to defend our crown. So that makes a lot of sense. I still think the Yankees, it makes sense for them. To kind of kick the tires. Mm-hmm. You never know with Greg Bird. He's been injured for a while. Obviously, the Yankees have the prospects. God,
1: ju- Judge Abreu and Stanton. D.D. <laughs> Gregorius. Gleyber oh. Torres. Yeah. Yeah, soon wow. Manny Machado. Well, it's same thing with you. You put Abreu in the in, uh, Houston's lineup. Holy, I holy know hell too. Plus, Houston has a rich farm system. They have one of the best farm systems yes. in all of baseball. They're right up there
2: with the Sox and and Atlanta. And and so do the Yankees. Now, I don't think the White Sox would get either the Yankees or the Astros top prospects, but you can get somebody double A or higher. Yeah, that could join this wave we've been talking about with the recent promotions and could be maybe someone that can contribute in 2019 and 2020. So we'll see. I think a market may develop. And if rumors like this about the Houston Astros, especially from dependable people like Peter Gammons, doesn't get any more dependable Mm -hmm. than Peter Gammons when it comes to baseball reporting, uh, it will be fascinating to see what Rick Hahn does because I think he's in a great position as a GM. I don't have to move Jose Abreu, yeah, but if you need him or you want him, He's Here, got the leverage. He has all of Rick the Rick can say,
1: look, we have no intentions of moving him, but if you want him,
2: show me show me you want him. Right. And he may be tested, Kevin. Yeah. I he may be tested. And for White Sox fans, I think we will all be tested because while logistically it makes sense if it's a deal that's too good to turn down for oh, Jose yeah. Abreu, wow. it it would be for me at least it would be heartbreaking because he chose the White Sox in free agency. And he, I think, has shown great leadership and has shown a great connection with the White Sox community. And if he were to be traded away, it's a piece of your heart that's missing, but your baseball brain says, this is a deal that makes sense and best for the White Sox long term.
1: Yeah, I think, think, you know, final point, I think Rick Hahn... Just ask for the world. Ask for a ton for him and see if you can somehow pry. I mean, look what he got f- yeah. for Adam Eaton. I'll, I'll continue to point to that yeah. trade. I mean, so let's see what he can pull off. Um, we're still about a month or so away, so I'm sure we'll touch base on uh, on the, the trade rumors and stuff as that heats up over the next few weeks here. Um, where to go next? Because there's just so much. Oh, let's talk about Avi Garcia for a second. Sure. Um, gets hurt. He's a guy I think everybody would have been open to trading Um your thoughts on Avi? Does he fit long-term in this plan? Where does he end up? Is he a trade bait? Is he a long-term guy? Thoughts on Avi?
2: He's not a long-term guy. I think Elo Jimenez is prime to replace Avi. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how 2019 works, though, because you could theoretically have Jimenez start on the team opening day in left field, and you're going to have Avi in right field. And then suddenly, if you keep Jose Abreu, then the lineup is not that bad, really. You're, you're halfway there to a decent lineup for the White Sox. But I, I think with him being a free agent after 2019, listen, Avi has been on this rookie contract, and he's going through arbitration, and he beat the White Sox in arbitration court this mm-hmm. year, the first one since Keith Folk. Wow. There you go. That's a name check for you. And with Avi, I, if he says, listen, I want to test free agency, by all means man this is your this is your one opportunity to make as much money as possible I don't know what kind of contract Avi would get if he doesn't get back to his 2017 form? Mm. Probably not good. I don't know if the White Sox are really all that interested in spending the money or yeah. committing, especially when you have the outfield prospects that yeah. they do. And you haven't seen enough consistency from Avi. Right. You can't trust him. No. Can you, do you feel confident, Kevin, to no, give him a three-year deal? No, probably not. No. Right. So I, I think after 2019 or maybe during 2019, if Avi comes back to all-star Avi form, then I could see him being moved. But if he doesn't, I think I don't even want the White Sox to give him a qualifying offer because Mm. he may accept that because it would be like one year, $19 million at that point. Uh, I think it would just be best for the White Sox and Avi. It would be best for Avi, for him personally, test-free agency. If he gets a three- or four-year deal, take it, move on, Unfortunately, that trade did not work out all that well for the White Sox, moving Jake Peavy. Uh, But at least the White Sox got 2017 Avi, and he does have that potential to be that type of impact player. He's just not healthy enough to be counted on to be an impact player.
1: Josh, thanks for stopping by the new studios. I'll show you. I'll give you one more little tour before we uh, head out. It's a
2: beautiful place here, man.
1: Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, But before I let you go, any new news or nuggets or thoughts on the White Sox? We've been talking here for about almost twenty-five minutes. But uh, (laughs) anything we missed? Anything you'd like to throw in there before I let you go?
2: You know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see on what the White Sox do here. They they have to finish better than twenty-seven and fifty-four before the eighty-one game mark, Kevin, to avoid the worst first half start in the one hundred and seventeen year. Of the franchise. Yikes. So can they win three more games to at least tie the worst record, or four more games in the next 10 to avoid the worst start? So we've got something to root for here. Are we, here we go. We're
1: rooting for them to avoid that,
2: right? Yes. Okay. So I, they need to go, f- <laughs> over the next 10, they need to win four to avoid that? Four to avoid. They got to get to win 28 before playing the 81st game. Four, okay.
1: All right. Uh, let's get that trending. Four to avoid over the next uh, step. <laughs> it gives Sox fans something to root for when they're watching, other than the fact that uh, you're rooting for individual growth. Let's root for some wins here, huh? Yeah. How about that, Sox we fans? don't want
2: to be alive and tell our kids yeah, and our grandkids. the worst Sox team uh, ever. Yeah, I remember the worst <laughs> team ever because the, the record is set by the 1948 White Sox, wow. who finished 51 and 101. And that was perhaps one of, if not the worst season in franchise history. I am comfortable not being alive for the 1948 White Sox season. I wasn't even alive for the 1983 White Sox season unfortunately. Uh, I do not want to say, yep, I remember the worst season in franchise history. I'm with
1: you there. Josh, thanks a bunch for stopping by, man.
2: Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Thank you to Josh Nelson. Thank you to Tony Andraki. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Powell at the Park podcast. You can follow me at KPowell720 on Twitter. Please subscribe, review, and rate on iTunes. You can listen on Google Play, WGNRadio.com. That's this week's episode of the Powell at the Park podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.